The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. My next guest is no stranger to this show. We talked to him last year about his last thriller, Take Your Breath Away. And at that time, he shared with us the theme of his next book, which was the coming reality of autonomous automobiles or self-driving cars. Well, that book has just been released and it's called Look Both Ways. Linwood Barclay, good morning and welcome. Good morning. It's great to be with you again, Pat. Now, um, you told us, you gave us a little uh, taster of what this book might be about, uh, automobiles that are autonomous. But I wanted to go back a little bit with you and your fascination with cars. Well, you know, I just, I grew, I mean, I've always loved cars. And I think I sort of grew up surrounded, uh, I grew up surrounded by car imagery. If, you know, back in the, in the, throughout the 50s and early 60s, all of the car ads in magazines and the brochures and all that, they were all illustrations and not photography. And my dad drew those cars. So, you know, you might look through Life or Look or Saturday Evening Post magazine and, you know, in, in North America and see a beautiful car ads for the Fords or whatever. And those drawings would be my dad's drawings. And so maybe that's kind of how it kind of got ingrained into me that I just love cars because I was always surrounded. In fact, when I was about two years old, my dad was doing about a $5,000 Cadillac job, this beautiful airbrushed rendering. And while he was out of his uh, home studio, I thought, I think I can improve that and got up there with my crayons and went to town on it. So, <laughs> so, so and so it's so even now it's, it's amazing that I am alive to tell you that story. So, um, but I just was surrounded. I always loved cars. And my parents used to, they, they tell me they used to stand me out on the, on the sidewalk when I was two, you know, to show me off as some sort of child genius to the neighbors. And every car that went by, I could say, okay, that's a Chevy, that's a Pontiac, that's, I knew them all at the age of two. So I just loved them. And I've always loved cars. And, and, and I guess probably that's one reason why, you know, that has brought me to writing Look Both the Ways, because it's it's a it's a thriller about self-driving cars and the very mm-hmm. idea of them uh, chills me to the core. You know, I just I'm not interested in having one. I don't want to surrender that kind of control. And and like most thrillers do, I think of a situation and think, how could this go horribly wrong? And and that's and kind that's of where the, that... the essence of, of the plot. Um, yes. Speaking of cars, I mean, could your dad ever afford any of those wonderful creations he was drawing? Well, you know, the, he wasn't drawing, you know, Porsches and Jaguars and so forth. He was had he was fairly conservative. He bought kind of boring cars, and not until um, uh, oddly enough, when I was fifteen, and he had this five year old boring beige dodge and there was a 1970 dodge charger not unlike the car that the bad guys drive in bullet Mm -hmm. and i said dad you should you should trade that car in and get this and to my absolute astonishment he did he got that car and it was just this beautiful dodge charger and the sad irony of it all is that when i was 16 and was able to get my driver's license um, he developed uh, lung cancer and died, bef- you know, within uh, within the year. And I was the only, I, he, my mom didn't drive. So I ended up by default, I had this $70 charger that I was whipping mm-hmm. around in because I was doing all the family errands. Mm-hmm. But it was a beautiful car in this burnt orange color, yeah. which, you know, nobody would ever do today. Now, uh, you've moved, I believe, to the centre of Toronto from uh, the mm. hinterland. Do you have a car? And if so, how autonomous is the car you've chosen? Oh, no, there. Uh, we, we did. We moved right into the heart of the city. 
um, from the suburbs, but we have a, a sizable garage on the laneway and that can fit two vehicles in there. And neither of them are autonomous. Uh, they are just cars that do what you ask them to do and they go where you point them, which is just what I want. I mean, you know, I, I tell people a lot, I have one of those ring doorbells. I can't even get it to work the way I want it to. And I think if I can't get the doorbell to do what I want, if I want to trust my life to this car to be able to make the kind of judgments that I would prefer to make. Now, this uh, plot is all about a car brand called um, Arrival, which is a great name for a car, by the way. And you've <laughs> spoiled it from, for Ford and GM and all the rest of it because you've got there first. And this is an autonomous car and everything is set on an island. Why? Well, I wanted a self-contained place, a place that people could not get away from. I've often described this book as think Jurassic Park, but instead of dinosaurs, it's self-driving cars. And everyone, so, you know, in Jurassic Park, they were on an island, they couldn't get away. And so the the premise here is you have a place that's kind of like Martha's Vineyard and a big car company says, look, the best way to test self-driving vehicles is, is if every car on the road is one because they have a kind of hive mind. They know where each other is. And so you won't have any accidents. So everyone agrees to surrender their conventional vehicles to the mainland and are given the use of uh, one of these uh, autonomous vehicles, one of these arrivals for the period of a month. And and uh, and so on this big grand media event day, a virus gets introduced into the system and all the cars essentially become homicidal. Mm. I mean, imagine being on an island with a thousand Christines yeah. and and that's and that's where so I thought I thought island just to me was the perfect place. When I first started thinking about this book, I was thinking of a small town. And I thought, well, you could get away. But on an island, you can't get away, at least not yeah. not in a hurry. So the theory uh, on the part of the motor company was, um, you know, the transition from uh, driving automobiles to self-driving automobiles is going to be tricky because some of the cars on the road are going to be driven by people and others on the road are going to be driven automatically by machines. Um, so let's demonstrate how good it could be if every car was driven automatically because they talk to each other, yeah. they'd whiz past each other at a safe speed, um, they'd find their own parking place, they'd never yeah. break the speed limit, um, and everyone would be safer. That's the theory, you know, and because I, I describe it as, let's say you come to one of these, I, you know, we need more roundabouts in North America. We don't have those much, but we have four-way stops where, you know, you have a, an, an intersection and four stop signs, and and a lot of times... You know, four cars seem to get there at just about the same time. And you all sit there and everybody starts waving the other person. Oh, you'll go. No, you go. No, you go. You know, so I figured with with four arrivals coming to an intersection, they would know within a millisecond who was there first and who had the right of way. And and so I thought there's just one tiny example of how these cars could cooperate with each other. But of course, when things go horribly wrong, they begin to cooperate with each other in a very different way. Kind of like a wolf pack, maybe. Yeah. Now, and uh, <laughs> so, so, but, but in theory, this is just a great idea. Um, it, it certainly is. Now, the the you have human characters. I mean, uh, this yes. is not the cartoon movie Cars. Uh, this is about <laughs> people as well. And uh, your protagonist is a, a PR exec, and this is the big break. Uh, the car company wanted to use a local talent uh, for the PR exercise. They hire Sandra. And it, it could be her dream come true. The big break. 
However, well, yeah, and this, yeah, that's right. I mean, we have some very human characters in this novel, and and it's, it's Sandra, who's got his mother of two kids who are approaching the age when they can get their driver's licenses, and she thinks that the prospect of self-driving vehicles is just such a wonderful idea. Maybe her kids will never have to drive themselves because she lost her own husband. They're, the father to these two kids died when he fell asleep at the wheel. And uh, so she's a local, but she's been given the opportunity to, to plan this massive media event. And so she's right there when things go, you know, very, very badly. And there's one other hero in this book that is of a more mechanical nature. And, you know, they've everybody was supposed to, as I say, give up their conventional cars and put them on the mainland. But there's one guy who has tucked away in his garage this beautiful, magnificent, old 1957 Cadillac. Uh-huh. And we may be very glad that that car is still on the island. And the other thing I want to mention for those who pick up the novel, on the title page, you will see this beautiful illustration of, it'll look like a photograph, a beautiful illustration of this Cadillac. And that is one of the drawings that my father did, which we were able to incorporate mm-hmm. into the uh, yeah, into this Yeah, it's, it's beautiful, it's long, it's stretched, it's got those wings at the back. It's, <laughs> it's the epitome of 1950s and early 60s glamour. Oh, the fins were never bigger than on the 1959 Cal. It's a wonder that car could not become airborne. <laughs> um, they're just massive. And what was interesting, I was such a nerd as a kid. When I was in like seventh grade, I read Ralph Nader's book, Unsafe at Any Speed, about the how unsafe cars were and how the auto industry didn't want to address these concerns. And one of the things that fascinated me and always stayed with me is that the sharp pointed fin, the tail fin on one of those Cadillacs, People died on those. There were motorcyclists who came up behind and you know hit the brakes, and there was an accident. Who were impaled on those things, and and for whatever reason, from way back when, that image, that kind of accident, always stayed with me. And uh, mm. and I and I won't give much away, but I finally get a chance to use that. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> the arrivals themselves are very smooth. Mm-hmm. I mean, the- they're like little jelly bean cars, you know, yeah. and and uh, little little they look kind of like. They look kind of like dustbusters with wheels, you know, and um, yeah, they're 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 a tiny yeah. little thing. Now, without giving anything away, really, um, there are all sorts of other characters in, yeah, involved. The local police chief is a, a central character, but also the man that one of the kids particularly imagines living across the road is a serial killer. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. There's uh, there is this um, from the Sanders family. There is this old guy who lives across the street. And they're the young son, you know, Sanders' son, who has something of an imagination because this guy seems mysterious and because he doesn't come out. Like, she thinks, well, he's got to be a serial killer. Uh, his sister has a somewhat different view, yeah. but she does become quite curious. It is. So, you know, uh, we'll say no more because that might be a bit of a, <laughs> a, a spoiler. And the, the the book has been described as obviously a thriller, which it is, but it's also very witty and and comedic in spots. And the kids, <laughs> I mean, the kids are generous in that regard in in giving us a laugh. Yeah, it's well, you know, I, this book is kind of is a bit of a departure from my other novels in that it's more of a techie thriller. It's it's sort of borders on sci-fi, perhaps. But all the things that I think that you would hope to find in one in, in one of my books, like all the others, is that it's a good, it's a thriller, but it's also there are moments that are funny, and I think that 
that when you're writing a thriller, every once in a while you need some humor to kind of break that tension to sort of give you a bit of a break and have a bit of a chuckle, but then you start torquing up again and start turning down the yeah. screw on everybody. And, and the, and, the, the yeah. talent that you have had over the years in turning the ordinary, the mundane, into terrifying objects. I mean, I'm thinking of ele- <laughs> elevator pitch. I mean, how many oh, yeah. people wanted to use, a, as we'd call it, a lift to the 51st floor on a high rise after reading your book? Yeah, you know, that was, you know, uh, yeah, Elevator Pitch, I think, was four years ago. And I, I always say that that book did for elevators what, uh, you know, Psycho did for showers. <laughs> and to take something that you use every day. And I have to say, my, my, my intention from the very beginning was just to make people healthier, to make them take the stairs. It was really kind of a public service, <laughs> that entire novel. Yeah, all 51 stories of it. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> The, the the thing about um, autonomous driving and the technology that we all take for granted, I don't know, on your telly, on, certainly on my TV, I can say to it, you know, what I want and it'll automatically pop up. But one of the most terrifying, and I, I don't want to give too much away, but if you're in one of these autonomous cars, which has no buttons and no handles, it's all done by voice, and you say to the car, and you give the car a name, it could be Pamela, whatever it might be, Pamela, open the door. And the door does not open. Mm-hmm. What? What then? Yes, and that's and and that's a and that's when you start to wonder if Pamela has an agenda that is uh, not going to be good for you. Um, and you also, you know, have to be careful sometimes with the words that you choose. Like if you say, "Oh, let's go back to my place and crash." Well, that's really not something you want to tell an autonomous vehicle because if they're they may lack they may be somewhat yeah. literalists, you know what I mean. Yeah. And uh, so you have to be very careful in your choice of words. But if you ask if some, a simple request like "open the door," if the car doesn't want to do that for you, and there aren't even any handles on the inside of the door because supposedly you don't need them, and there's no steering wheel, I mean, what are you to do? Yeah. And um, so, again, I mean, this is this is a brave new world that I'm not looking forward to. Yeah. And if you're in that car, you tell Pamela to open the door and suppose you smell smoke. What then? What then? And these are the kind of uh, issues, not that one precisely, but similar, uh, which occur in the the course of the novel. Um, It's absolutely it's futuristic, but it's almost with us. It's very, I feel like this is, you know, because something that could happen next year. Uh, we're really there. Um, you know, self-driving vehicles are with us now, but they're certainly not perfected. And almost daily, now that I've written this book, almost every day somebody emails me a link to some story about a particular, you know, car that went insane in a tunnel or did this or did that or miscalculated or misinterpreted the color of a vehicle that was sort of blue and sky and ran into it. I mean, all kinds of these things. So um, everybody keeps sending me things. And I think I can't add this to the book now. It's out. But, um, <laughs> but, but, but we're just not there. But there's this feeling that maybe we're getting close. So, so if you think that look both ways is sort of futuristic sci-fi, it's really sort of something that could happen next mm. week. And it's great, the title, because it's what uh, your mother or father would have said to you as a child when you're trying to cross the road. Look both well, ways. And, and you know what's so funny? When we, we were in, uh, we went, came from Toronto, we went to London for two weeks in, in October. 
And I had forgotten that at so many of the intersections, because they're not used to these dumb North Americans who don't know which way to look, written right down there on the corner on the asphalt is look both ways. And I first thought, my publishing company has launched the most amazing sort of campaign for this book that they have painted the title at every street corner in London. <laughs> I could not I could not be more grateful. Linwood, it's a terrific read. I haven't concluded yet. As usual, when I'm talking to you, I don't want to know the end in case okay. I inadvertently give it away. So I'm halfway through at the moment and enjoying it enormously as I'm being literally taken for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that. Mm. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Well, it's called Look Both Ways. It's published by HarperCollins. It's in every good bookstore and many of the bad ones too. Uh, Linwood Barkley, thank you very much for joining us on the programme. Thanks so much, Pat, and drive safely. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.